I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. This episode is part of the silver lining theme in which I will try to explore some of the bright side of the COVID-19 crisis with some of my wisest friends. My guest today is my dear, dear friend, Roxy Nafusi. Roxy is an emotional health advisor. She is a manifestation expert. We're surely going to ask her about that. She's an Instagram agony aunt. I have no idea what that is. And she is the host of a very successful podcast in the United Kingdom, The Moments That Made Me. I was a guest on that podcast a few months ago, and through that I started to learn a bit more about her work. And I find it amazing that her personal story has inspired thousands of people around the world to work on themselves and develop and be better. Roxy, it's so amazing to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Tell me, you know, we're not in the same place this time. So what's going on? How are you handling the coronavirus? So I'll say this before I say how much I'm actually loving it, that I am very aware of the severity of the situation. So when I speak positively about my own experience, it's not to downplay what's going on. I think that's absolutely the right way to look at it because honestly, this is part of the podcast I'm recording is what I call silver linings is to tell people, yes, there is a lot of downside, but there is upside too. And I think the idea is everybody's talking about the negatives. So it's actually quite refreshing to talk about the positives. So you're saying you're loving it, which I think is an interesting statement. How can you love it? So look, I have had the chance to really slow down, to spend time with my 10-month-old baby and his father, which, you know, I work full-time. I don't get as much time home with my son as I'd always like to. And I've said to you before, I've been on a big personal journey and I am obsessed with self-development and growing and evolving constantly. And there's always something new to uncover. And I've uncovered in this time some really pivotal stuff that has changed my life and has made such a huge impact on me. And I know that it will have a profound effect on how I live my life after we go back to sort of normal inverted commas. So that's been wonderful. I've also created such a close online community. I've been forced to interact with my audience in a new way, which was via video. And I've always felt a bit self-conscious on camera in that way with my, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And I'm so glad I did because I've been able to reach actually so many more people. And Yeah, I think I will take a lot of changes from this time into my real life. I think that's amazing to hear. Surprisingly, you're the third person today. I mean, this is week, uh, what, fourth of the lockdown. A lot of people are starting to say, look, I resisted at first. It was very, very difficult. It's not my normal life. I'm used to a very different pace. It's almost like taking away my freedom. There's all of the fear and anxiety about what could happen. And then suddenly, I think in the last couple of weeks, people are starting to say, but 
man, I mean, I'm finally meeting me. I'm finally finding the opportunity to review some of the things that are overdue. Do you think that this is something that everyone can do? Do you think this is, or this is kept to the select few that actually have the ability to review themselves? I think absolutely everyone is being given sort of divine opportunity here. You really, with so much distraction in life constantly, and it's unavoidable, it's unavoidable distraction. And when do we get a time to reflect on who we are authentically, who we are without escape? We may also, you know, you can start on a journey of self-development and looking inwards and trying to evolve. But if you find your something, you know, you hit a block of frustration or anger towards something that you want to overcome, you can just go, you know what, I don't want to do this right now. I'm going to go out with my friends. I'm going to go out for a drink. You don't have the opportunity now. You have to sit with it. You have to go through it. And I think had this been a two-week lockdown, you would have had the novelty of it and the drama and the excitement of this kind of new thing and everybody coming together going, oh, what's going on? And then you would have had a week of people being frustrated and angry about the situation, just eager to get back. But because it's lasted this long, there has had to be a point of acceptance and surrender. And with that acceptance and surrender to the situation, people are then forced to absolutely um, grow. And I think everybody, everybody going through it has that opportunity. I'm a huge, huge fan of the idea of surrender. I mean, in my personal story, I always talk about the fact that I could never bring Ali back. I could never bring my son back. And the idea is that there are situations in life where surrender is not from a position of weakness. It's from a position of strength to realize that this is the new standard. This is the new baseline. I also know, and I respect if you don't want to share, but I think it would inspire a lot of people that your personal story also came with a lot of struggle. And the fact that you teach so many thousands of people is because of that personal story. Would you be open to sharing a bit about that? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I champion openness and vulnerability. I've always been proud of the fact that I do that myself because I think by sharing something, you let it go. You know, and I say that all the time at my workshops and I encourage people to share with each other. So yes, I'm always happy to share my story. I guess that my story really started, it started when I was young. I mean, I was Iraqi and the Iraqi war broke out when I was sort of 11 and I was in Oxford. So I was obviously, I was subject to racism there. And then the insecurities that begin as a child, they just it's like they just take different forms as you grow older. You know, you're, I was insecure about my race. So I changed my name from Rowan to Roxy. And then I was insecure about my body and then just starts to take different forms. So anyway, the insecurity was sort of growing and growing. And then by my early twenties, I found drugs and cigarettes and alcohol. And that became my way of masking depression and anxiety. And then because of the substance abuse, the depression and the anxiety got much worse. And it was a very vicious circle. But simultaneously, I was living a very hedonistic, fabulous, glamorous lifestyle on private jets and celebrity parties and whatever else, and had a sort of online presence, not huge, but enough that I started feeling like I was living a lie. And I was portraying this life to 
people watching that what I had, this glamour and wealth, was happiness. And I felt within me this urge at 25, because I'd been writing, I love writing and I've always been a writer. I've been writing for various publications and I felt this urge that I just had to share the truth, which is that I was suffering from severe depression. And mental health at that point was not something that was openly discussed at all. And I was still young and not that I'm not young now, but I was younger (laughs) and I'm really proud that I decided to do that, but I did. And I remember so clearly the minute I pressed um, send, you know, to the editor of Marie Claire online and it was the beginning for me. It was the beginning of a journey of self-development and of inspiring others and helping others through my own story. It took me three years from that point, I would say, to deal with my substance abuse, to overcome my addictions. But it was an incredible three years of transformation. And then I fell pregnant. And what had happened is just before I had fell pregnant was probably a year where I really felt like I had grown and the depression was lifting and rather than having days of feeling happy or content there were months and I thought well this is it and you know I remember I said to you at the end of my podcast you know when you're happy you never think you'll be depressed again and when you're depressed you never think you'll be happy again and that was certainly the case then but then I fell pregnant in with someone that I had not known very long only 10 weeks and I then went, fell into the darkest mental state I had ever encountered. And it was incredibly dark. I basically feel like, you know, when we talk about lockdown and self-isolation, I've already done it, which is probably why I'm liking it so much. It's like, I'm used to this. (laughs) I'm used to it. I literally did it. But maybe with a different mindset, huh? when you did it then, you did it from the darkness that was surrounding you. Yeah, I put myself in lockdown. I was in a mental prison. It's the only way I can describe it. I gained 30 kilos. And as someone that had a lot of my career at the time beforehand had been about how I looked and how I looked on Instagram. And I had always validated myself from my appearance. That was part of the way. We all validate ourselves in different ways. That was one of the ways I validated myself and thought that I could be liked if I was attractive. But I still had extremely low self-esteem. But I lost who I was on the outside. I looked like a completely different person. I lost my work. I wasn't working. I stopped socializing because I was so depressed. And then I was so embarrassed of the way that I looked that I refused to see anyone. I went through a two-week period where I didn't actually step outside my front door because of fear of bumping into someone. For six months, I saw no friends at all. I still now, I feel it was a trauma for sure, the whole experience. But when you're stripped of all joy and all way of validating yourself no friends no social life no work no fun no self-worth no self-love you have to start all over again and that's what I did and then when I had Wolf and in the 10 months that followed to say that I have achieved and progressed and evolved would be an understatement. Even I, and I don't mean this to sound boastful or arrogant, but 
what I have done in those last 10 months has been nothing short of a miracle. But it was only because of that imposed lockdown that forced me to do so much inner work and growth. And that's why I want to encourage people to use this time to do the same, to do the same thing, to give themselves. You know, I've been saying to a lot of people that have been asking me recently about how to deal with their dark days. And I just keep saying to them, you can't see it, but the resilience you're building for yourself now is unbelievable. You can't see it, but I want you to know it. You use the word achieved and you use the word the work I've done. Are you saying that it's our duty to get ourselves out of those dark places? Is that something that we're capable of? Absolutely. Oh, wow. That's a big statement. You have to make a choice because mental health and depression will overwhelm you. And you have to choose to take yourself out of it because nobody else will. Nobody else will. And what will happen is if you expect anyone to do it for you, you will resent them and push them away because... I know that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always say, if you excuse my language, but in relationships, when I do a relationships workshop and I say, own your own shit. (laughs) Know when it's yours and not someone else's. And... I think it's easier if you're someone that is inclined to be depressed, it's easy to be that way because that's what's comfortable. That's what you know. And there's always something to moan about and complain about. And there's always someone that's got more than you and whatever it might be. But if you make a choice to reframe your mind, to to cultivate gratitude as part of your existence and as, as part of your being, you absolutely have all the power within you to transform your world and the world of everyone around you as a byproduct. I am a huge advocate of that. You know that we spoke about this before. I do believe that we also need to support each other, but even with the support that comes from outside us, I find it almost impossible to get anyone out of unhappiness unless they decide to. I, I, I don't know if we spoke about that before, but when I wrote Soul for Happy, the first time I wrote it, I put it out on the internet. I invited 275 people to edit it, people I didn't know. And before I did, I asked every one of them to give me their state. Are you happy, unhappy, depressed, and so on? At page eight of the book, uh, sorry, at page 11 of the book, 8% of all readers dropped out. And in that page, I had the statement that basically said happiness is a choice. And I looked at which readers dropped out. They were the ones that were already depressed. Because when they are in that state, they think about it and say, are you saying that it's my responsibility? No, 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 hold on. The world is not nice to me. The reason I'm unhappy is because life is annoying. And I'm like, yeah, life is annoying for everyone. Right? It's the victim mentality, right? Yeah, it really is. It really is. I know you do a lot of work on addiction. And because of your own personal story, having gone through that, and I'm so grateful that you share so openly, by the way, there are so many young people going through this. And I think, you know, it's important to tell them that this is a choice. Again, this is something you need to take charge of. The bravery of going out there and saying, you know what, my life is messed up. I'm going to tell you that openly and I'm going to work through it. That's really, really remarkable and noble. But do you believe that addiction is not just substance addiction? I mean, is, is the reality of why some of us who are 
we will always say we respect the fact that the coronavirus spread and the lockdown and the economic impact is really not that pleasant. I and mean, some of us are losing some people we love. But the truth is, I think what people complain about most is the idea of where is my freedom? Where are the habits that I'm used to? Is that some form of addiction as well? Well, yeah, because I guess we are addicted to escape, I think. So whatever form that takes, I think, yeah, I've never thought about it. But now that I say it, it kind of makes sense, right? So we escape through shopping, drugs, smoking, alcohol, eating, gambling. But it's all escapism. And it's all a way to make ourselves feel better with a quick hit that doesn't require us to actually go deep into our problems, to the resource of the problems. But what happens is, you know, there is a lot of people, and I think especially young people, and I know nobody wants to hear this. I didn't want to hear it at the time. And there is a very, very high percentage of people who are addicted but refuse to believe they're addicted and will say statements like, I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because it's fun. However, if you were to tell them, it's hard to describe, but if you were to tell them sort of you can't do it, then they get angry and frustrated. And look, the first step of it has to be awareness, but you cannot bring anyone to that awareness, unfortunately. They have to come to it themselves, but people will deny the awareness and push it away as long as possible because they know that once you acknowledge you have that something has control over you, you take out its joy and you can never unknow it. So once you know it has control over you and you know you have an, an addiction, then that's kind of it. You've kind of ruined it for yourself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the fun's out. The fun's out. And then every time you abuse, you know that in the back of your head, you know that it, it's not your decision anymore. It is, but it's something that has power over you, not that you have power over. And, you know, that's always the battle with anything is you are convinced that you have control, but you never have control. Which is really, really at the core of all of this. But it's actually quite interesting the way you look at it because, yeah, you may be addicted to something that makes you feel good. But I think this lockdown situation is showing us that we're also addicted to the hyper fast pace of life. We're addicted to those annoying meetings that you have to commute for an hour to get to. And then they spend an hour telling you that what they're planning to talk about. And then eventually they get to it. And all of those weird habits that are actually not enjoyable at all. We don't like them, but somehow we're addicted to them because they just numb our brains. They just keep us escaping. They keep us away from thinking about the things that we should be thinking about. Well, you know, my worst, worst thing would be boredom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, what the F is boredom? I don't even know what being bored means anymore. But before, when you can't sit with yourself and you have this fear of being bored, this fear of being on your own with your thoughts. I remember, I think it was in your book or I heard you say it on a podcast that happiness is the ability to sort of sit with yourself and, yeah, and without with distraction. Yeah. And that's happiness. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because I've often think about happiness and the difference between happiness and then pleasure and joy and all these different terms and how they kind of, what the differences are. And 
people think that being happy, they get it confused with a high of something external. But very few people have it within themselves, which is why they have this fear of being bored and which is why they'd rather spend an hour commuting to a pointless meeting than sit in their room on their own without anyone around them. And meet themselves. Meeting ourselves is probably one of the biggest fears we have. It's like, man, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, where do you bring those things from? Can you shut up for a minute? I love that. Actually, one of the things that I know is part of your work at all is the concept of emotional health. Because part of, I think, one of the biggest challenges we have in the modern world, especially the Western world, is the idea of, no, 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 emotions don't exist. We don't acknowledge them. We don't think they are important. We just want to go through life as machines, sort of as reliable, predictable machines. And how did we get to that point? And what's normally your advice for people around emotions, around the ability to be healthy with our emotions? There is so much power in being able to label your emotions. So I'm doing a stress workshop tomorrow and I was writing it the other day. And one of the things, okay, with stress, okay, so we have stresses in our lives all the time. So we're constantly met with stress. We're in a stress state, almost chronically, most of us. But And I say that stress is like a Tetris game, okay? So unless you keep clearing the lines, it builds up until you burn out. But the reason you can't clear the lines is because you don't acknowledge that you're stressed, most people. So they let it linger. And they'll get an email, for example, from their boss, which says that they want a meeting on Monday. And it will give them a sense of anxiety, a physiological response, okay, of this perceived threat or change, which is what stress is. And they won't deal with it. Then they'll distract themselves. They'll go out, they'll forget about it. But the anxiety is still there. If you have the ability to pause and say, I feel stressed, I am stressed. And the reason I am stressed, to go a step further, the reason I am stressed is because I was triggered by this email which sent me my mind to a worst case scenario that this meeting may be that, let's say, I'm being fired on Monday. So unless you can accept your emotions as they arrive, because otherwise it's one stacking on top of the other and it becomes a kind of a mess. And I think there is so much clarity to be found in being able to know where you are at points in the day. And also when you feel good to go, I feel great. I feel happy. I feel joyful. I'm really enjoying this moment. I'm really grateful for this. Anything it is, personally, I am constantly aware of how I am feeling. And sometimes that's tough because you'll go, I feel really sad today. And if you're someone that's on a self-development journey, that can be worrying and triggering in itself because you think, well, I'm trying so hard to be happy. Why do I feel sad? But just so allowing it and acknowledging your emotions without judgment and with full acceptance. It's powerful and it's how you understand yourself and how you understand what you're triggered by and how you respond to your environment. Don't you think it's better to not have those emotions? I mean, it's like some people say it's weak to feel sad. Shouldn't we just say, no, 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 hold on. I'm a little stressed, but that's for wusses. I should be not stressed. The thing is, you're human, so you have the emotions. It's whether you have the strength to admit admit it. The courage, yeah. Yeah, nothing disappears. 
emotions don't fade. They sit in your physical body. It is a mind-body connection. And people would like to ignore sad feelings. And I get it. Of course. You don't want to sit with it. You want to go, I'm stressed, but you know what? It doesn't matter. And that's okay. It might work temporarily, but it doesn't go. Emotions are real things. They have energy and you have to unpack it and you have to work with it and you have to move that energy from stress to something more high vibe with a higher frequency like joy or gratitude or love or acceptance but you can't brush it under the carpet because it will come back i would say openly the biggest strength is to actually be able to face those emotions to acknowledge them to embrace them to not act like your mom and dad and say be strong boys don't cry and and cry a little Seriously, like, like, you know what, it's absolutely okay. It's out there, which takes me to that agony aunt thing. What is an Instagram agony aunt? I promise you guys, I didn't ask her before the podcast. And I'm very curious. Two years ago, every Sunday, I started something called Agony Aunt Sundays. And I remember I was actually at the Maya Clinic in Austria having a mental physical detox. And I just love helping people and I love helping with their problems. And I thought, well, let them use my platform to help people. So every Sunday for two years, I ask people their problems and I write answers publicly. And if you go, I actually just last week have put it on pause because I'm running now online workshops every two weeks in my podcast. And I had to actually, I commit so much, you know, it takes me about four hours every Sunday and I had to actually look after myself and I have put it on pause for a few weeks but yeah so every Sunday I would help with their problems and I always have a direct message and you know I would Instagram agony up but I just absolutely love it and the response was amazing the feedback was amazing and also look it gives people an opportunity to see what other people are going through and to see how how other people are going through the same things so I answer one person's question but really I've been, I've been doing this long enough to know that we all really go through pretty much the same things. Funny, isn't it? It really is. And for people to be able to, either they see a question they would have asked themselves or it puts their own things in perspective or whatever it is. But it's a community that I've created online, which I absolutely, you know, I'm so proud of. And through that pregnancy, it was, I started it just a few months before I got pregnant. And it was like it was sent to me from a higher power because it was the one thing that I kept doing consistently. And it kept you connected. And gave me purpose every Sunday, kept me connected to my audience. Yeah, it was really, it did as much for me as it did for other people. You're from that generation that can actually find connections through digital devices, right? Absolutely, yeah. Is that true? Are you guys really like you can connect? Because this is very important in the lockdown time. Yeah. Do you find that to be as good as hugging someone? Yeah, I mean, I'm not tactile, so I'd rather... (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So I prefer it. Yeah, Um, this is even better. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you know, I direct message my followers a lot because I get a lot of people messaging me for their problems and I also do a lot of one-to-one consultations online with Zoom. I love connecting to people online. I also think when people message me, you know, I do my one-to-one workshops of course and people will come up to me at the end but then I'll 
always get people messaging me going, I was too shy to come up to you, but I wanted to say this, or I wanted to ask you that. And obviously there is a negative and dark side of social media, but actually people in what I do and in my work, people are more open to being vulnerable and asking me for help. And I think social media is how you use it. I put a poll the other day. When you see girls posting pictures in their gym kit or of their bodies, and I am someone that, you know, I admit I post pictures of myself in gym kit or bikinis sometimes. I say, when you see these images, how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel inspired to eat healthily and work out? Or does it make you feel negatively about yourself? And 73% of people said it made them feel negatively about themselves. Oh, But I had an influx of people also saying what I have been saying for a long time, which is that it depends on when you see the images. So when you are feeling insecure, you're having one of those days where you don't feel good in yourself. When you scroll through your feed on Instagram, you are triggered. But if you are in a good headspace, you're feeling positive, you go on and you feel inspired. And that's what social media should be, in my opinion. You should be on there to be entertained, to be inspired, or to be creative. And that's, again, acknowledging your emotions, becoming aware of how you're feeling day to day, being in touch with yourself. How am I feeling today? Is it a good idea for me to be scrolling through Instagram today? Will I be able to connect to people or will I feel frustrated and resentful and jealous of people? So if you want to feel connected on social media, become, again, it comes back to you. Yeah, do you believe that in this situation, social media has been good for us or bad for us? There is so much negative news coming on on social media, like all of those videos about wash your hands and, you know. uh, I mean, I love Instagram. I do. I love it. There you go. The confession in front of everyone. I love Instagram. That's probably the one section I still have. (laughs) (laughs) We will report this to her husband tonight. I love Instagram. There you go. (laughs) I do. I do. Look, it depends how you want to use it. But I think people would struggle, especially people who are living alone. You are able to go on and see what your friends are doing and watch Instagram lives and funny memes. Sometimes we just need to go on and laugh. If I'm feeling like a bit sad, I'll go and look at, there's a one dude with sign and it makes me laugh so much. (laughs) My favorite on Instagram is Strange Planet. If you haven't seen that, it's incredible. Oh Oh my God, it is so interesting. But I'll have to say, honestly, I think that's really interesting because again, it comes down to choice. So what you're saying here is I am in charge. I will use it the way that works for me. But, you know, in reality, it's a fantastic tool and I can use it in my favor. And I think that's really a very wise position to be in. Yeah. Tell me about the manifestation expert. I can, is that your 10 months old calling for you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. my boyfriend's going to him now. He's a bit up and down with his sleep at the moment since we got back from LA. <laughs> Don't worry, you can walk out anytime. But tell us about the manifestation side. How can you claim to be a manifestation expert? So I discovered manifesting just... I'd always been interested in it, but I really discovered it. Just By the way, can you hear him? Is it distracting? I, I can, I am, and the audience will hear him and it will be absolutely wonderful. We agreed up front that this is just a conversation between friends. Go for it. Don't worry about it. Thank you. I discovered manifesting after a friend told me to listen to this podcast about it. And I discovered the sort of real secrets behind manifesting because what people think manifesting is often is they think that you manifest from your thought. There's a lot of literature out which basically says if you think about something hard enough, it will happen. But 
manifesting is much more than that. Manifesting is really all about manifesting from your subconscious and from your subconscious beliefs about yourself and from your self-worth. And I started researching a lot into manifesting and discovering basically the secret to what is magic. It is magic and we are all magicians. And (laughs) anyone has the ability to manifest and create whatever life they desire. And I used it... And I use it every single day. I mean, I can literally manifest anything I want. And it all stems and it all has to do with your limiting beliefs and your fears. And there is a secret to it. And I wrote a seven-step guide to manifesting. And the success from all my followers has been incredible and I've personally succeeded from it and I'm actually I have not announced this but I'll say it now I am making it a downloadable workshop in a few months which is very exciting and the thing is it is a magnificent rule but it requires a lot of inner work alongside it like anything but manifesting has been around for centuries and there are a lot of actually great philosophers. Really, they talk about manifesting and everything they discuss, but they just use different language. But really, we all believe the same thing. And all the kind of, all my great sort of heroes and people that inspire me, you being one of them, all really have a message which is fundamentally a very, very similar. But it's about finding who speaks to you and who you hear the best and who speaks in a language that you can best understand. And manifesting is just another language to really say the same thing. Believe me, I mean, I'm completely convinced. I believe it's one of the laws of physics, as a matter of fact. I truly believe that the idea of the uncertainty principle or the Copenhagen interpretation of of quantum physics is totally all about what you observe is what happens. And so our observations manifest the reality that we are in. I am a huge believer in that. I love the fact that you say I use this every day. I'm actually not going to ask you about the seven steps guide. I'm going to ask you to tell us the link for people to go and, and read the seven step guide. Where could people find you and find your work? Oh, well, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Roxy Nafusi, Roxy with an IE. And my website is www.roxynafusi.com, which is where you will be able to download the Manifesting Workshop. Not yet, but soon. Very good. Very good. And I encourage everyone to actually listen to the moments that made me the podcast. I very much enjoyed the time I spent with Roxy in that conversation. And definitely in this conversation, I want to end with one quick question, Roxy. So within a few weeks, we all know that this current situation will be behind us. Sooner or later, everything in life changes. Life is never permanent. So what do you intend to keep from the habits that you developed here? Honestly, my love for fresh home-cooked food. Oh man, I know that one. (laughs) Yeah, I've discovered a new love for food. I'm definitely going to have less face-to-face meetings and more phone conferences and, and being, you know, being able to spend more time at home with my son, I think. That is exactly what it should be. So there has been a lot of silver lining in what's happening. I think we need to keep some of that. What are you going to keep, Mo? I'm never going to be in the office again. This is it. <laughs> I'm going to be a virtual human for the rest of my life. No, don't quote me on this. But my intention is definitely to travel less. My intention is definitely to do things more efficiently. People don't believe it when I say this. I have a lot of work to do on myself. I continue to invest in myself very frequently. And every time I spend a couple of hours with me, I get a step 
further on my path. And so my intention is surely to allow, as per my uh, New Year's resolution, I don't know if we met before that, but I once announced that my New Year's resolution this year was silence and space. This was the year of silence and space and look at the world. I'm like, it's the entire world is silence and space. So Mo, you manifested. Oh, no, 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 no. I did not manifest this. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Roxy, it's always a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to talk every time. Thank you for your time here. I think you inspired a lot of people. It's always in your hand. You're in charge, whether it's addiction or loneliness or whatever it is you're struggling with. You can work on it. Please do follow Roxy. You will learn a lot. And thank you for your time with us, Roxy. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.